Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And friends, have we got a show for you. Bridget and I were so incredibly pleased when this guest said that she would be able to come on the show and share her words of wisdom. So on today's episode, and it will actually be a two-parter, so it'll be today and Friday, we have on Susie Orman. You guys know Susie Orman. She has been called the one-woman financial advice powerhouse, and she shared so much invaluable information with Bridget and I that we urge you to go get a pen and a legal pad or a notebook. Not <laughs> a legal, a legal pad. That's Colleen's favorite, which she's actually turned me on to also. <laughs> I live for my legal <laughs> notebook. Pads. You know, don't get a post-it note. You're going to need more room. Yeah. A, a piece of paper. That's not going to cut it. We are going to be talking to Susie Orman about retirement, about finances, about what we should be doing at 40, at 50, at 60, about social security and advice for our kids. And there was just so much information that, as I mentioned, we have divided it into two episodes. So just by way of, I don't need, she doesn't even need an introduction, but just to let you know a little bit about her, she has written 10 best-selling books. That's 10 guys. And she is also has an amazing podcast called Women and Money, which you can download now and listen to for free. She gives her advice for free. But first, listen to this one and then go sign up for that one. Her show, The Susie Orman Show, is now live streamed for free. So all those episodes, I think she said she has about 600 episodes, can be watched now. And she just, between her PBS specials, all of her guest spots, she just shares this information. And it's really clear. It's concise. And if she thinks you're an idiot, she's going to call you an idiot. So (laughs) Bridget and I were a little afraid. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but really, I just loved, uh, I read her book and some of her books. I was going to say, which loved, one? I know it, I know. And I've read her books, but I just love her whole honesty and her backstory about how she got started. And you need to read her book so you'll hear how it was. It's not like she came from a lot of money. That's not exactly. it. This is money that she earned herself. And you can do that too. And you can just be comfortable in your retirement or live a long, comfortable life without the worry. That would make your life so much easier if you do not have financial worry there. She asked the question, what is your money goal? What is your goal for money? And she's in the number one goal should be to feel secure. Right. And if you feel secure, then you are going to feel powerful. So, you know, Bridget and I asked the questions. We did the research. So we asked questions on retirement accounts. What's the difference between a Roth 401k and a traditional 401k? Is Should it be pre-tax dollars or post-tax dollars? We talk about Social Security, and that's actually going to be in Friday's episode more. But we talk, we talk up, yeah, long-term health care insurance. Yes, that's a big yes. So we also talk about the difference between investing and insurance. So she is a big proponent. Susie is a big proponent that you keep your life insurance term and you keep your investments different. So you're not, you know, she's not a big fan of whole life, variable life, universal life. And we're going to talk all about that as well. We're going to talk about how much you should be investing, when you should be investing. She actually offers up advice on right now with the inflation being the way it is, CDs, Treasury yes. bills and has 
a CD that she recommends that has higher interest than if you walk into your bank. Yes. And and I immediately got off of our interview and got on my computer and purchased some CDs. <laughs> I totally did. And again, we are not financial advisors. We're not giving you specific financial advice. Susie is a financial advisor. But again, talk to if you have a personal advisor, and she said the best advisor you can have is the person that looks in the mirror that you see when you look in the mirror. But you always double check before you make any investments so that you feel comfortable. Really, this conversation is so invaluable. You know, suggest it to your friends. You know, have your mom or dad, your kids especially, listen oh, yes. to Fridays because she's going to talk about uh, advice to give your children about savings. So we want to remind you that all of the links to what she recommends will be in the show notes. So you can go to hotflasheskooltopics.com and find the show notes for Susie Orman's episode one and two, and you should find all the information you need there. So let's get started with Susie Orman. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today is a really special day on the podcast, and I want everyone to grab a pen and piece of paper because you are going to need to take some notes. There are pearls of wisdom that are going to be shared throughout this conversation. Our guest today has written 10 best-selling books. She has an incredible podcast called Women and Money. If you are not following that, I want you to open your little purple app and start following right now. And she is our guest today, Miss Susie Orman. Welcome to the show. Thank you, my dear ladies. You know, I'm thinking about the topic hot flashes and <laughs> cool topics. Thank God I'm older now, so I don't experience that anymore. But women in particular seriously get hot flashes when it comes to their money at any age. They start sweating, they don't know what to do, they get hot, and they therefore do nothing. But unlike real hot flashes, hot flashes with money never go away until you're powerful over your own money. So there's your your number one note. Start taking it, guys. Yes, yes. (laughs) And, And that is such an important topic because so many women that are in our age demographic, we're 55, but, you know, somewhere in there, life changes have happened to them. They could have become divorced. They could have lost a job. They are widowed or their parents are ill. So many changes are happening to them right now. And it's so overwhelming What would you say, and I know what you would say, but the first thing that you need to do when it comes to your finances, what is the number one thing that women need to make sure is happening with their finances? Yeah, you know, Bridget, what's so great about me right now, if I have to say so myself, (laughs) is that I'm about to be 72. So at 72, having done what I've been doing now for over 40 years, It's an interesting thing to be able to look back and go, oh, this is what people should have done, especially women at their 40s, at their 50s, at their 60s, and their 70s. Very different than when you're in your 40s projecting what should be done when you're in your 50s or 60s. So I love that because now I can look back and the main thing I can say from all the millions of women who have written to me over the years is that in the 50s, you so seriously have to stay, start to take control of your money. It's not even funny. 
It's not even funny because actuarially speaking, if you happen to have a spouse that's a man, right, men die before women do. It is an actuarial fact. And even though here we are, we're in 2023, you would think that women are more involved with their money. They're more progressive that way. They know what they're doing. If they're in a relationship with a man, for some reason, they do not take their financial power. Oh, it is true that they will absolutely take care of all the household finances. And why is that? Because the households, the children, the grandchildren, everybody and everything that they love. But you ask them, what is the interest on their mortgage? You ask them, what are they invested in? And they'll say an IRA. And I'll say, no, what are you invested in within your IRA? They cannot answer me. So in answer to your question, women, if you are listening right now, the best thing you could possibly do for yourself is to get involved with your money and not think about it as both of your monies. Think about it as your money. Because even if you're in a great relationship, you're going to end up with it all being yours and you're not going to know what to do with it. And chances are, maybe you have a financial advisor, but in my opinion, the best financial advisor you can find is the one that you look at when you look in the mirror. Because if you think the financial advisors, that which is a fancy name in most cases for salespeople, care about your money more than they care about their own, I have a bridge to sell you. So the best advice in your 50s when there's time, which is why I wrote my last New York Times bestseller was the ultimate retirement guide for 50 plus. Because once you get older, nobody cares about you. The advertisers don't care about you. Nobody cares about you. So you better start caring about yourselves. Along those lines, the age of retirement, is it's just changing now. People are living longer, and that 65 kind of mark no longer exists. So if you're a woman in your 50s and you're just starting to learn about finances, what do you want to look for if you're going to work until you're 70 or 75? Because I remember you saying in one of your um, PBS specials, if you love what you're doing, you're not going to want to retire from it. But what should they be looking for in their quote unquote portfolio? So your portfolio is made up of obviously different kinds of accounts, hopefully. But most likely, it's probably only made up of if you're working for a corporation or a hospital or a nonprofit, probably the only money that you've put away for yourself is within a 401k or a 403b, or if you work for the government or in the military, a TSP, which is a thrift savings plan. So first question you have to all ask yourself is, does the corporation or nonprofit that I work for match my contribution? Meaning I put in a dollar and they give me 50 cents or whatever amount of money that is up to a specific percentage of my base pay. And that's usually about 6%. I don't care if you have credit card debt. I don't care if you don't have a pot to pee in. 
If you're working for somebody who is matching a contribution that you put into their retirement plan that they're providing for you, you cannot afford to pass up that match. So the first thing is you always have to sign up for the point of the match. Second thing, do you put it into a traditional 401k, 403b, or TSP, or a Roth TSP, 401k, or 403b? What is the difference between the two? The difference is with a traditional one, you're putting money into your retirement account where you work, right? And you get to not have to pay taxes on that money until you take it out. With a Roth, what happens is you pay taxes on that money and then invest it. So a lot of you really believe that what you should be doing is the traditional one. Get the tax write-offs now. Biggest mistake, in my opinion, you will ever make. If you really want to be financially set later on in life, you want all of your retirement savings in a Roth, whether it be a Roth with your company or a Roth IRA if you qualify for it. Because you can also have both an employer-sponsored plan where you work and an individual Roth as well. And you should. So within those accounts, so now we've just done three things, three steps here. What's What should you be doing to protect your retirement? See if your employer matches. If they do, absolutely invest up to the point of the match minimum. Next, you want the Roth version of any retirement account you have. Third, where within those retirement accounts should you be invested? The key is diversification, number one, because if you only have $3,000 within your retirement account, that's a whole lot different than if you have two or $300,000 in your retirement account. So it's really, really important that you're able to diversify. So within your retirement account at work, you would be looking for, do they have a Standard & Poor's 500 index fund that you can invest in? And if you're only in your 50s because you have 10, 20, or maybe even 30 years till you retire, dollar cost average into that because over time, that will give you the most growth. If, however, you have a lot of money in your retirement plan, then you have to decide how close are you really to retirement. So you have to be very careful and have really true diversifications. Bond funds do not necessarily give you protection against a downward market. If you had bond funds the past year or two, and you would have learned if you listened to the Women in Money podcast, since I know you ladies listen, you've heard me say, I hate bond funds. I hate bond funds. Do not invest in bond funds. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You would have made, you would have saved yourself from losing 20 or 30% in bonds where you thought your money was safe. So you have to have true diversification. Now, it's hard within an employer-sponsored plan because they don't give you that many options. 
So whatever the safest option during downward markets, if you're really afraid, is where you should put your money. However, at this point, if you're in your 50s, I would be dollar cost averaging into the Standard & Poor's 500 index, knowing that the markets are going to continue down. And you should be thrilled when they go down, because the more they go down, the more shares you get to buy. Five years from now, if they turn around and go back up, the more money you will have. In an individual retirement account, if you want your money safe and sound right now and you're afraid, I would be doing three and six month treasury bills or three and six month certificates of deposits. But if you're young and you still have a long period of time, in your 50s is young, everybody, I would be dollar cost averaging into either the Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF, symbol VTI, and or dividend paying stocks and or dividend paying ETFs such as Noble, symbol N-O-B-L, or there are other ones that I give all the time on the podcast. And I'll have to say, I was watching your PBS special about retirement, and when you said Roth 401k, I had no idea. I mean, I was I, I said Roth 401k. I know of Roth um, IRA. Is that something that is fairly new? Was that a rare? It's not new. And no, what are the limits? Are there an income requirement? It, it, like, like that's the great thing. There's income requirements for a Roth IRA, and those income requirements for the year 2023. If you are single, you're, you're like, you know, you're just filing single, you're not married, you can make a maximum of 139000 of adjusted gross income and still qualify for a Roth IRA. The full contribution, which is 6500 this year, if you're under 50, 7500 if you are 50 or older. If you are married, filing jointly, it's $218,000 of adjusted gross income to make the full $6,500 or $7,500 contribution. For a Roth 401k, you can be making $300,000, $500,000 a year and still contribute to a Roth 401k. So they've been around forever. What's interesting is your employer, when they match, that match normally goes into a traditional 401k. So a lot of people think, oh, I won't get the match if I do a Roth 401k. 100% wrong. You could do a Roth 401k, 403b, or TSP and still get an employer match. And as of this year, employers are allowed to put your match into a Roth 401k or 403b or TSP. So just so I understand this, if your company offers a traditional 401k, can you open a Roth 401k and and for yourself or does it have to be through a corporation? It has to be through, if you're working for a corporation or any place, well, that, those are called employer-sponsored employee plans. If you work for a company that offers those, they have to be able to offer a Roth 401k for you to participate in a Roth 401k. Most corporations do. Okay. Can you change it if you have a traditional one? Can you switch it to a Roth? 
Yes, you can transfer anything you have in a traditional 401k or a traditional Roth, a traditional IRA to the Roth version. However, remember, when you do so, you will pay ordinary income taxes on any amount that you convert. That is the technical name. So you look at your taxes. Hey, there's nothing wrong with converting if you have years left till you need this money. 3000 a year. 5000 depends on your tax bracket. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. Another thing that I think women in investing get confused about, and you're very clear on this, is the difference between insurance and investments. <laughs> and not to mix the two. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, let's first talk about insurance and what is life insurance for and why do life insurance companies love to sell you life insurance policies and the different types of life insurance life insurance was never meant to be a permanent need it was only meant to be there during your younger years when in case there was an unexpected death and there were people that were financially dependent upon you, they would have money to be able to carry out their life and still go on. But hopefully as you got older, you acquired enough assets and saved enough money so you didn't need life insurance. The difference of life insurance is that there's many different types of life insurance. There's whole life insurance, which is meant for your entire life. You're to die with it. Then there is term insurance, which is good for a specific period of time known as a term. When you have term insurance and you can get annually renewable term insurance or five-year, 10-year, 20, or 30-year term insurance where the premium is solid. It remains the same for whatever length you sign up for. It is usually one-tenth of the premium of a whole life insurance policy. So you're maybe in your 45, your 45 or your 50. If you're in good health, you could get a multi-million dollar policy for maybe $100, $200 a month. To get the same policy as whole life would cost you a whole lot more. So I don't want you to buy a whole life insurance policy for your entire life. What I want you to do is buy a cost-efficient life insurance policy. Hey, you're younger than that. It could be $35 a month for a million dollars of life insurance. I want you to buy a term insurance policy. I would like you to get it for at least if you're in your 50s, get a 10-year life insurance term life insurance policy because the older you get, the more expensive it is. And nobody dies with the term and policy. You only get it for your younger years, really, when you're not expected to die. And now you're paying a little premium and you're investing the difference in retirement accounts, in the stock market, in your paying down your mortgage. 
right, versus a whole life insurance policies that's making the insurance company rich. So let me just put it easily. I hate, in most cases, whole life, universal, and variable life insurance policies. They're sold to you under the guise you can invest your money, you could get tax-free money, you could get a cash value on it, and you'll be great. No, you won't. If you want to be smart, you get a term insurance policy. Insurance is insurance. You want investments? Get yourself a retirement account, an investment account. Sign up for the accounts where you work. And the smartest thing you can do when you're in your 50s, if you still own a home that you're going to stay in for the rest of your life, pay down the mortgage on your home so that you own it outright by the time you retire. Because the only reason you mainly need all this money in all these retirement accounts is to generate the income to pay your mortgage. And I'll give you an example of that in a second. What's easier, paying down your mortgage or saving to generate income to pay down your mortgage? The highest commission item that an insurance agent or a financial advisor can sell you is a whole life, universal, or variable life insurance policy. Their commission will probably be 70 to 90% of your first year premiums. Why don't they want to sell you a term insurance policy? There is no real commission on them at all. All right, so insurance is insurance only by term insurance. Investments are investments. Do not mix the two under any circumstances. For those of you who already have whole life, universal, or variable life insurance, and now you're wondering, what the hell should I do? If you know that you're healthy or whoever is insured is absolutely healthy, Look at the cash value of the policy that you may have. And then what you would do is go, oh, if I took that cash value and I invested it, what would I have when whoever is insured when they die at normally 85 or 90? And what could I do if, in fact, I were to save that premium? So the first question you have to ask yourself is, do you even need this life insurance anymore? Are you okay without it? So why do you keep paying for it? And most insurance people will tell you, you can't cash it out now because if you do, you're going to owe income tax. No, because you will see the amount of money that you put in is probably less than the cash value in those policies. But always think twice before you cancel any life insurance policy. And if you're going to switch from like a whole life to a term, make sure that the term is in place first before you cancel any life insurance. But I do a fabulous examples. I just think it was a little bit ago on the Women in Money podcast on how this one woman should cash out her whole life policy. And I did the numbers for her. And it was like, oh, everybody wrote and go, 
I never do that. So if you listen to the Women and Money podcast, and every single one of you should, it's free. This podcast is free. We're educating you simply because we can. And if you don't take advantage of that, what is the matter with you? (laughs) So the Women and Money podcast and everybody smart enough to listen. And the app as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the app is where I tend to answer people's questions pretty much right away, mm-hmm. right? You also can write in questions to podcast at gmail.com. That's ask, S-U-Z-E, Susie, podcast at gmail.com. And then uh, every, once a week on Thursday, we drop it. KT, who is my spouse, the two of us answer the questions that she chooses. Thousands come in, so... We'll just see who get, gets chosen. But seriously, sometimes I answer you directly, even on email, especially if you have lost your spouse or you have just been divorced and your spouse just did you in. So that can happen a you. lot. Yes, a lot. I've heard of it a lot. And, you know, you're talking about the insurance and I wanted to ask you about long-term care insurance. Yes. And I feel like that is a very important thing. That was something I felt, I'm not sure when that first came about. I just remember my in-laws talking about it. So can you talk about the importance of long-term care insurance? Yeah. Long-term care insurance has been around forever, like late 1990s, 2000. It was there. And then because they didn't have actuarially how long somebody would use it and all. They totally mispriced all the policies and they were seriously cheap. Now over the years, it's become expensive. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, can you afford the premium not only when you buy it, but all the way through until you're 84 or 85, which is the average age of entry into a nursing home. Because if you cannot, or when you need long-term care, because if you cannot afford it, as you get older, you're going to drop it, and then you wasted all of that money. So the average age of entry into a nursing home is 85 The average stay is two and a half or three years unless you have Alzheimer's, and then it is eight years. Medicare will not pay for it for longer than three months, and you have to be in a skilled nursing facility for it to pay, and your health insurance will not pay. So who's going to pay for it? You will out of your own pocket. The truth is, chances are you will pay less for a long-term care insurance policy over the entire time than you that you have it than you will for one year in a nursing home. Incredibly important to have Absolutely. if you can afford it. Yeah, and I know that how rates are going up, and I know that I've heard you say this, and I know just personally, uh, we had one of the, my spouse and I, one of our parents was concerned that her rates were going up and was thinking of dropping it. And we swooped in and said, oh, no, 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 we will pay for that (laughs) help. However, you have to know that if you buy it, you're buying it from somebody who really understands it. So Phyllis Shelton is the nation's expert on long-term care insurance. And if you go to the website, Or actually, if you go to the Women in Money community app, I have 
her information there. I do not get a referral fee, but I have gotten thousands of people saying, oh my God, she helped us. She is so fabulous. I wish we had known about her. And her direct email is phyllis at ltcconsultants.com. Fabulous, fabulous. For a lot of people, they're looking at their savings, however they're invested. They're looking at Social Security and they're saying, how do I know how much money I'm going to need when I retire? Whether it's 65, 70, is there a formula they can look at? Is it just, I know you talk about, can you cover your expenses? That's what you want to be able to do. But for those people who really don't know where to start. Well, you have to have an idea of what is it going to cost you when you finally retire, which is why you want, if you're in your home, your mortgage paid off because that's your largest expense. So you have to have an idea of really what it's going to cost you. Then you have to look at truthfully, what will your social security be? And you can go on to the social security website and they'll give you an idea of what will your social security be? What will your spouse's social security be at different ages? What will your money in retirement accounts generate for you? And I would figure it only at a 3% rate, just so you know, to be safe. And do you have any other additional income from rental properties, whatever it may be, or other investments? And after taxes, what will that leave you? That's your first step. Then your next step is you have to assume one of you dies, Because when one of you dies, you lose one Social Security check. And what will that do to you? Then you have to assume, all right, and as Bridget just asked, now maybe I go into a nursing home and it's going to cost me X amount of money. How long will my money last? Which is why long-term care insurance is so seriously important if and only if you can afford it. And so you get that kind of idea and then you're going to be totally depressed because you're going to say, there's no way I can afford this. I'm never going to be able to afford to retire. And then you start spending money and everything. Here's what I want to say to all of you. For the entire life that I've been doing this, Don't look at numbers and go, I need this much money because you may find that you need two or three million dollars to do what you're doing. You can always find a way. So what I'm asking all of you to do is do the best that you can possibly do today. Number one priority, the match in your 401k. Second priority, if you are in your 50s, You want to be out of debt. You don't want to owe any money, anybody, any money whatsoever, meaning you own your car outright. You have no credit card debt. You have nothing. So now you are working towards that because the key to retirement is to not have many expenses, to reduce the expenses and get rid of those expenses that you can get rid of, such as credit card debt car payments, such as a mortgage or whatever it may be, even student loan debt. 
So you have to get rid of that. So here you are now, your 401k, you're getting out of debt. Then the next thing, which is part of getting out of debt, you're going to look at what your home and your mortgage and how much do you have to pay extra per month more than anything else that you do so that it's paid off by the time you retire. And just a very quick example of that, let's just say all you have is a $200,000 mortgage. All right now, obviously, good luck today because your mortgages will probably be double that. But let's just say you have a $200,000 mortgage at 6% for 30 years, your payments will be $1,200 per month. That's $14,400 a year. After 20 years of paying it, you still owe on a $200,000 mortgage $100,000. And your payments are still $14,400 a year. How much do you have to have in a retirement account to generate $14,400 a year after taxes, probably five or $600,000. Is it easier to pay off $100,000 on that mortgage than save five or $600,000 so that after taxes, you have $14,400 to pay that mortgage? Right, do you see? Yes. So that's your goal out of debt, retirement accounts, Roth retirement accounts, long-term care insurance. If you can afford it, give Phyllis and her people a call. And if you're going to stay in the house that you're living in, have it paid off by the time you retire. And last but not least, you do not even think about touching your social security before full retirement age. Well, I hope that you have pages and pages of your legal pad filled up <laughs> with this great advice and information. And remember, if you were driving your car while you were listening to this episode, you can always go to hotflasheskooltopics.com. You can find the episodes. You can find the show notes and the links to Susie Orman, her website, download her app, uh, check all of these things out. I was just so just, I don't know, it just felt like a relief when I heard this and also eager to try out the things that she advised. And remember that we have part two coming up on Friday. You're not going to want to miss that as well. Follow us on all social media. The audio for this episode will be on our YouTube channel. It was done via audio. So you can check that out. We'll have clips up on Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Make sure you're following us on social media and we will talk to you on Friday. Bye.